So uh, starting off just right off the back, welcome back to the Swell Shenanigans podcast. I'm your host, Amanda, but you can call me Swell. Here on the Swell Shenanigans podcast, I am a broken record when it comes to this, but we're still figuring out what this is. There's not really much of a structure, but I know I love talking about all things social media, pop culture, and shenanigans. So my guest today is another fellow YouTuber, Roberto Blake, who I call a creator for creators. And we're just kind of going to talk about a bunch of creator shenanigans and things that people need to be aware of. And there's really no rhyme or reason in this podcast. So really whatever we choose to end up on. What you're hearing at the start is I said that I'm down for him to roast my channel. So we may do a full Soul Entertainment channel roasting today. It might be good. Yeah, let's go. But yeah, Roberto and I actually uh, know each other because last year we played quite a bit of Among Us together. I murked him in Among Us quite often. <laughs> Well, y'all didn't have a choice and everything like that. World's greatest detective over here. The game the game couldn't go on if you didn't kill me. Fair. But yeah, uh, Roberto, like I said, does so much content. You make so much content. That's not just how to be a YouTuber, but also best practices for YouTubers and things that they need to be aware of, not just content-wise and algorithm-wise, but also you've made quite a few like financial videos and things, right? It's the, it's like the thing that's really hard. I mean, first of all, thank you for having me on the show, but, and like- Yes, just, thank you for coming on. Yeah, no problem. And just being a homie, but like the, like the thing is, this is a real career. Like people don't feel like it is because like a lot of people, especially people who are younger, like I'm in my late thirties, I'm 37 now. It's like, I just happened to- not age. <laughs> That's what happens when you win Mortal Kombat. But um, the, the thing about it is, yeah, I've got jokes. So the thing about it is this is a real career, but unlike careers that have existed for like 50 to 500 to 5,000 years, there's not a good enough playbook for all of this. And what people reduce the playbook down to is, oh, I want to grow an audience. Oh, how do I like film or edit this and that's and they stop at the functional ability to make content and then the mm -hmm. result that they want being growing an audience and then mm -hmm. they don't treat it like the rest of a real career whereas everybody else if you go out and you become a doctor you become a lawyer you become a teacher people are going to talk to you about your future they're going to talk to you about what climbing the ladder looks like they're going to talk to you about your 401k and your pension they're going to talk to you about an exit or retirement plan or next steps they're going to talk mm -hmm. to you about how to properly invest in your career. If you go and you become a doctor, there's more training, there's seminars to go to, there's things like that. We as content creators, we as independent media companies are not treated- Ooh, I like that. Exactly. I like that. Like we're independent media companies. We are the mom and pop version of Viacom and MTV and Nickelodeon and, and so mm -hmm. on and so forth. We are making content for an audience in the same way that a traditional media company does. We're just the independent version of those. We're not a chain or a franchise, at least not yet. Mm -hmm. Leave it to Mr. Beast and it will be. But like, oh, uh, yeah, seriously. Every time I see him really get picked up or uh, a lot of people talking about it is either he did something insane or he is once again talking about investing in creators and like like investing in channels and growing in like giving money to creators to help grow their content and figure out how to monetize that. He's next level. Like, I know it may not be considered a flattering comparison, but the way I look at the, his approach to YouTube is similar to Jeff Bezos' approach to Amazon. And by that, I mean it in the most flattering way because he uses a loss leader model. He's mm -hmm. hyper growth centric and he puts the audience first in the way that Amazon's model of like, oh, customer comes first or whatever. He mm -hmm. he has those qualities. And again, it, it may not be popular to say, but I'm just like stating like facts in terms of this is a business model 
that is ex- the most extreme. It's a comparative. It's, yeah, a comparative it's a comparative model of like, yeah. here are two examples of what going to an extreme is in business and having literally the same results of it's impossible to compete with you. Like this is how you Absolutely. take the market by storm. And it's just really interesting to me to think about, my God, what is Jimmy Donaldson 20 years from now? That's crazy yeah. to think about. And something you mentioned earlier was about, one, I love the independent media companies because that's something I always talk about with Swell Entertainment and now with Swell Shenanigans. Mm. I would love for this to become something. I always say legitimate, but I mean, I guess it kind of you is are legitimate. now. Like, You're a full-time you. creator. <laughs> yes, I am. Do you see, the thing is, it's hard to get like the, the traditional people to take us seriously because we've mm. been conditioned and we've been like, we've been conditioned by the earliest social media content creators and influencers to think that the answer is to not take ourselves seriously. And again, they largely did that so that the audience feels a connection to them and feels like they can do it too and all this stuff. But it's like, this is really hard. It's very rare to be successful, but that doesn't make it luck. Rarity is not the same thing as luck. You know, I say that in Twitter all the time. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, it's hard to get people to take you seriously if you don't take yourself seriously. It's hard to fight for legitimacy with the institutions and the uh, establishment media when we think that we're playing around or we say that we're playing around and we know how hard it actually is, but we try to like not take ourselves seriously or not look like we're taking ourselves seriously. I actually want to try to change that in our culture because we deserve to be taken seriously and we are delivering value and our audience is getting something from us that the establishment isn't giving them. And that should be respected. No, I agree. I I talk about that with, not necessarily with YouTube, because I think YouTube itself is within an institution. And it's something that- Kind of. Well, I just think that personally with TikTok's rapid growth lately, I think it's something that people keep trying to replicate. And they think it's just the format that people want, when really it's the creators on the platform that are making it what it is and making the content that people are constantly spending time on. So you should actually be making more videos about this, by the way, because you got a hell of a lot of views when you talk about like TikTok. (laughs) talk about like yes but here's the thing about it it's both it's both the ubiquity of the format and style tiktok has Mm. its own culture here's the problem tiktok has massive massive vulnerabilities in terms of its long-term sustainability because it could be the next vine it was the true spiritual successor to vine but it could end in the same way as vine and even more so because Unlike Vine, it does have the prof- the potential for profitability, but it has massive mm. vulnerabilities just because of its relationship and ties to China and to Tencent. Mm. With that goes everything that comes along with the Chinese Communist Party and our political relationship with it. And you already see the government trying to regulate our social, our homegrown social media. We don't yeah. know what any future administration or any future policymaker, even in the current administration, will do. When it comes to TikTok, we're taking it for granted because we already see them trying to make moves on the established homegrown social media that we currently have. And that's just our own government. What about the other governments of the world? They could do things that end up infringing enough on TikTok to make it a problem for everybody. I'm massively concerned and protective of the creators over there because I keep telling everyone you need to be platform agnostic and you need to decentralize content. I believe you decentralize everything you possibly can. You don't wait for decentralized disruption to happen at a macro level. You do it yourself Mm -hmm. so that you're just less vulnerable to having 
all your eggs in any one basket. That's my thought on it. No, I agree. Especially I was talking about this with my dad the other day, because he's actually another content creator. We just don't meld paths all that often. Um, <laughs> but we were talking, we were talking about how I was like, because I own swallentertainment.com, but I don't really have it set up. But after Instagram went down and all of that, Instagram is definitely not one of my biggest platforms, but it really just made me think, you know, I do want a spot for all those photos that isn't just reliant on Facebook and isn't reliant on Instagram so that, and the same goes with YouTube videos. Like I really do think that owning your own content and having a platform where all your content is, is valuable. And that's something that the, I think the original bloggers, like the original people owning their own blogs had going, that was right. Like a good idea that just has not transferred over quite yet to the content creator space. It's because the centralization of content and saying, I want to focus on one platform and I want to get, I want to put my energy into the place where I'm getting big and I want to go as big as I can. That's where the TikTokers are because of the fast, rapid virality being attractive. And then it's like, well, that's where my people are. So that's where I'm going to be. Same thing with YouTube. Oh, that's where my people are. So that's where I'm going to be. But it makes you vulnerable and it makes you behold holden and it means that if you if something happens to your platform there you don't exist anymore and your body of work is gone and that's mm-hmm. too scary that's too much anxiety for me like oh so, yeah absolutely I, my yeah. imposter syndrome i've just accepted is like that's always going to be there i always joke like you guys could hate me tomorrow like something that what you said in your opening that made me think of this was not the legitimate I'm, I'm, again i'm messing up my words but you're fine the creator economy is still fairly new and being a, cr- yes. a full-time creator is still fairly new but at the same time people who were popular three five years ago a lot of them are nowhere to be seen now and they've either left the internet of their own volition or they just fell off and they started doing other things. And, you know, I do think that there is a longevity to this career that isn't either it needs to still be figured out and there need like there really isn't like you mentioned an exit path or anything like that or like a next step. People always assume like, oh, I need to go into acting or whatever. And it's like, I'm in that boat. But like there's certain shortcuts that happen when you're a creator that people don't plan for or they don't really know how to make that not look like they're getting handouts I think and uh or they just don't know how to deal with not being their own boss also I think at the same time yes and then there's the other part of people don't respect or acknowledge the skill that it takes to be a creator even the creators themselves I was talking to Mm -hmm. a creator in the beauty space she had like at the time she had like 300,000 views she had gotten hacked and they were stealing her AdSense. She lost like $30,000. And she was like, Jeez. if this doesn't get sorted out, what am I going to do? And she's like, well, it's a good thing I have my degree. I guess I can go back to the regular world and get a, a quote unquote real job. And I was like, no, homie, you don't understand. You built 300,000 subscribers. You realize that you mm-hmm. also have connections, direct connections and the phone numbers of 25 of the biggest influencers in your space and you can say who's easy to work with who's legitimate who has an attitude who doesn't you if this doesn't work out you walk in to one of the 20 brands that you've done brand deals with and you become one of the heads of influencer marketing or you become a vp of marketing or a marketing manager and you walk into a ninety-five thousand dollar a year salary with benefits and incentives and then within Mm -hmm. three years you're making probably 160k a year and you have 
more boundaries because you're not sitting here working long hours editing because you're already better at making content than the brands themselves for the brands. That's why they've paid you for it. You have the relationships and know the influencers, which means you will be better at vetting and getting better deals and better brand deals for the brand and for the influencers and making campaigns actually work than anybody because mm-hmm. you actually have done the job, which makes you more qualified than any marketing manager they currently have. I was like, you don't even know. I was like, I had to explain to this creator that she didn't even know what she had in terms of talent, ability. How extensive her resume really was at this point from just being a content creator. Because in her mind, yeah, I'm on YouTube and TikTok and I make videos and people watch them. Like people are so reductive about their own success because the community and the culture and to some extent the audience has tricked them into a level of humility to be relatable that actually is a denial of how talented and hardworking and industrious and how specialized their skills are and how valuable they are to the commercial market. Like I came from the world of advertising and marketing. I know that's why when I do workshops with creators or I do one-on-one coaching with them around the brand deal stuff, you've been hearing me do a lot more of that lately. Like I had a creator that I coached uh, two weeks ago. I was at a vid summit and we still made time for a call. And what happened was This creator did not believe that they could even get this brand to pay them 10K for six video for a six video project. Can I ask what their what their subscriber count was or what their like just just comparative for the viewer? 90K subscribers, but they are in a specialized niche that requires specialized knowledge with regard to living with a specific uh, type of chronic illness. So I'll just tell you it's that that okay. much, right? So it's like, it's a channel that does a lot of, it's one of the only channels that has a lot of good information, but also real life, oh, I'll experiment with this on myself, kind of like, I wouldn't go as far mm-hmm. as saying biohacking, but I like, oh, I'll try this for 30 days and tell you what the real experience is and what the actual thing is. So like, it's really well done and it gets a hell of a lot of views on the right content. There's some content with it that's good information that's going to be less popular because it's just real information. And then there's some spectacle components of it, but it's good because it ends up being almost like a tech review, but in a niche, yeah. right? So it's, and yeah. it's these products. Like specialized market research, essentially. Exactly so, exactly, mm-hmm. right? So from a regular person, right? So- it's really good. It's like it's like it's one of those things that you would have no idea how lucrative it could be until you realize that this person will have no competition, no real competition at a high yeah. level. And so I worked with them and we worked on readjusting the packaging. And I talked about stuff like, did you even consider the fact that they might want to license your your appearance and your likeness? in their own advertising and that you can grant permissions for that and get a whole nother bolt on service here and like charge thousands just for that and give them a six month versus 12 month option. And they could even mm-hmm. renew wanting to use you and your likeness. And this just sets up a long-term relationship and you end up doing more deals with them or like, Hey, let's also, here's another thing package off of these videos being this, and then these videos being that, and then grant individual usage for these, cause he's doing a whole like first experience 30 days later and literally a six months later thing. I was like, okay, here's how we're gonna structure some licensing. Like we're gonna call this a project fee. Here's the, here's a project fee, but we're gonna charge literally 
uh, a specific incremental amount for six months of you being a guinea pig. Yeah, because you said originally that it was 10, he wasn't sure he could get 10K for six videos. And I was going to say, that sounds, for six videos, if it's a a dedicated video for one, let me specify this for anyone listening. Integrations are only what I do. I don't do dedicated reviews or dedicated videos because part of what I do is product reviews. So I will not do a dedicated uh, video for a sponsorship. So for him, it was three dedicated, three integrations. See, that seems too low to me. (laughs) It was too low to me too. Okay, good. Okay, I I wanted to make sure we were on the same page. Because watch what happens. It ended up being... I restructured the package and I was like, how would you like, this is going to be 35 K, but it's itemized. And I restructured it for him. And I said, here's how you're going to be able to justify 35 K. When I broke it down, he's like, the breakdown makes sense. But the number was so terrifying to him. I was like, look, if I'm wrong, you would, you were like trepid and like would have been happy to get 10 K because for you, that's a lot of money. And like, if I'm wrong, you get like 20K because they're not going to hang you down from 35 to less than 20 if we come in at 35. And so like they got, they gave him the 35 without even haggling. And then it expanded into a conversation where there's another Mm -hmm. 20K on the table. See, this is what happens when you got, you got to one, know your worth as a creator, but also you got to be up to date and aware of honestly what the current climate is for sponsorships and brand deals and all of that. Um, Something that I wanted to bring up with you One, that's amazing that you were able to help him break this down and all of that. That's incredible because last year when my channel blew up in February of 2020, I was uh, marked as like a creator on the rise or whatever. So within the span of two months, I got rapid fire emails and all this stuff from MCNs, managers, all these companies (sighs) trying to get me to sign with them before I got blown up. And I knew going in, I was like, okay, I'm not signing anything, but I want to know what they want from me. And so I took every single phone call I could get. And the first thing I did when I got on the call was say, they would have, because the first thing, every single one of them was like, so why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself as creator? And I said, I would cut them off. And I would just say very politely and calmly, like, well, actually, I would really like to know what it was about me that made you want to reach out. And that Smart. just totally changes the the tone of the conversation. But What I realized very quickly was there are companies that are creator focused and companies that are brand focused. And sure, when you're when you're a company that's working with brands for creators, you want to make sure you're delivering on value and also you're getting your cut. But at the same time, it's like, okay, I know that I'm never going to be able to get any form of I don't want to say attention's not the right word, but like, I know I'm just going to be like a name on a list to them versus like, oh, this is a creator that we're working with. Something that floored me was the amount of people that I spoke to who were seemingly caught off guard that I knew what I was kind of talking about. Like, sure, there's things that I'm not going to pretend to be an expert in social media, but I'm, I'm terminally online. And so before everything blew up, like I was doing research and I was doing what I could to be a good content creator and all that. But the fact that so many of them were like throwing numbers at me and I wasn't like rolling over and showing my ass or anything for them, like they were (laughs) caught off guard. They were like, oh, wow, you you seem to know what you're talking about. And it some of them blatantly said like, oh, you'd be surprised how many people we offer this to. And they just get so excited because they're getting paid for their hobbies. And it's like, oh, no, I have bills. And (laughs) there was this one this one MCN that still routinely every once in a while reach out to me. Side note, I don't think signing up for an MCN is ever a good thing. I'm very anti MCN. It's, uh, It's a bad idea. (laughs) <laughs> okay. Yeah. So multi-channel networks, MCNs for those not aware, but um, this one brand, uh, this one 
MCN was very heavy in pitching me. And they were like, and we can guarantee you a signing bonus. And I was like, okay, cool. Like just sent, like, let me think about it. Like again, left everything open. They sent me the packet, which was like the pitch deck. And originally they were like, oh yeah, it's going to be like 15% of your ad revenue um, or 20% of your ad revenue. And then in the email, when she sent the packet, she said, and I was able to secure you a $7,000 signing bonus. Okay. And I read through the packet and for the $7,000 signing bonus, I would be committing to 30% of my ad revenue that they would be getting by that bonus. And it went down incrementally depending on what, if I accepted the 30, the 20 or the 15 and side note, obviously I didn't take any of that, but good for you. Cause Within three months, I basically earned on my own that signing bonus. But also within a year, I would have lost so much more than seven grand if I had selected that 30% deal and signed. Yeah, that is how they roll. I mean, I Mm. I'm going to save my MCN horror story for the channel at some point. But mine was you've heard you've heard some teases about mine. Mine was not great, but I was a baby YouTuber at the time. And it so happens that I went from 14,000 to 100,000 within the time period of my contract. And so, yeah, your boy Mm -hmm. got got. And that's actually why I started uh, doing creator centric content was uh, because I got screwed. So you don't have to. Yeah, my current manager, I actually called him my not manager for the entirety of 2020 because he was one of the few people who had reached out to me who made it clear that he had actually watched my content and was like Mm. familiar with it. Because one thing that I asked all of these phone calls, I said, does it make you at all concerned with getting me brand deals that I cover products that are sponsored products? Does that make you concerned? And so many people were caught off guard because they had no idea that was a large swath of my content. I was like, okay, cool. You haven't done the bare minimum research on my channel. But he was the only one who was aware of this. And like, he was like, oh no, I'm not worried at all. You'd be surprised and all this stuff and talked, but, and I made it clear like, hey, I'm not signing, but I was very interested in what he had to say and just clicked really well, really early on. And then when I said, hey, I'm not going to sign, but thank you so much for talking with me and for reaching out. And he just said, okay, I'm going to give you this, an offer. It's a zero, hundred percent deal. So basically it was just like a no contract managing situation where anytime he had openings in brand deals, he would reach out to me, see if I was interested in, and then he would take 10% if I did agree to the deal. We did that for about a year. 20% is 10 to 20% is standard industry best practices. Anything more than that, you are being ripped off. Stop it. (laughs) With very rare exceptions, because if it's a talent company, that like an old school talent agency, one of your big, bigger ones, like the big boys, they can do 25, 30. UTA, WME, all of those. Yes. Yeah. Those now again, standard is usually 20, 25 at that point. But if it goes to 30, it usually involves them doing other things for you. If you're trying to do things, for example, like there's it, cause it depends on what type of talent you are, because if you have the option for public speaking and book deals, then things change and there's a lot they can do for you, but it gets, so again, it can be, it can get to 20 to 30 at some places, just depending on what we're talking about. But a good median to look at is like that nice, like 20 sweet spot. Mm-hmm. If it's above 20 and you're, they're not substantial and bringing a lot to the table, then yeah, you got to worry. But with him, he was the only person who one routinely checked in with me. He was routinely watching my videos and reaching out to me to talk about what he liked about my videos and all of that. 
And he also was the only one, like any brand deals I was able to negotiate on my own were not reaching the amount of money that he was securing for me when he did brand deals for me. And so when he said, so when he said, Hey, in January, I'm signing with a select talent management group. uh, So we either need to make this official or I can't like help you with these brand deals anymore. We did a full on conversation, broke everything down and just made a conclusion. At the end of the day, he was the only person who had reached out to me who actually seemed interested in my career and what I could become as a creator. But also he was the only one who kept every single word he made. He was, and that's not common in any industry, but especially not in the creator and the entertainment industry. I would say it among the people who actually deliver, keep their word, right? And it's like, and they won't always be the big well-known names or be flashy or any of that stuff, uh, you know, but like the people who are like genuine, it feels like they're rare, but you'll find that they're the ones who stick around and have longevity careers. Like Mm -hmm. that's the thing. We have a lot of flash in the pan people in this industry. We have a lot of fly by night people in this industry. They don't last. Mm -hmm. Like I'm one of the only creators you can talk to who has literally been around since the beginning of this platform uh, with Mm -hmm. regard to YouTube. Like that's still active. That's still active in the community. There's not that many people who have a decade long career in social media. It's just, it doesn't work out for people, but I would like to make it normal because it can be, it can be a decade or decades long career. Mm -hmm. But the thing is the people have to know how to one, stick it out for those first three to five years. They're really, really rough at the beginning. And then those three to five years after you feel like you've gotten somewhere and gone full time, the reason that people don't last more than 10 years is because a lot of people that you know, they'll blow up in years, maybe years two to five and not even like grow slow, just straight up blow up. But then because they grew so fast, the longevity of their career is really compromised because they run the full lifespan of their accomplishments. Uh, it's like a butterfly living out its whole lifespan in like 10 days or something. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's it's very much that because they're basically speed running an entire career. Yeah, it's hard to celebrate the milestones when you feel like you've passed them all rapidly and you didn't get to enjoy them. And some people, they blow up and burn out immediately. I won't name names, but like people who like get a million in a year or two, it's hard for them year three and four. And they don't have the same growth or they find that they can't maintain it. And they find that they never had an adjustment period for the lifestyle and for the attention and Mm -hmm. for and they never had a mental barometer or can I sustain hitting any of this? And the answer to that is no. And you shouldn't try like Mr. Beast is an exception, not a rule like no one should have a grow or die or grow at all cost mentality, especially if they rapidly succeed, they should expect not a ramp up, but a ramp down because they've never given themselves an adjustment period. Also for listeners with Mr. Beast, because I, I see a lot of people in my comment sections when I make tweets and passing about creators and things like that, when people bring up Mr. Beast, he has a full team and company behind him it's 50 to 100 people and growing they were hiring at vid summit Mm -hmm. it's about it's about 50 full-time staffers and they have in the entire god i wish i could have been a fly on the wall for that recruiter meeting god i wish i could have seen that they had a job they basically set up their own job fair the mr beast crew oh that's brilliant yeah it's like because vid summit is for serious creators the tickets are very expensive so it Mm -hmm. literally is you're serious or you're not because this is like vid summit is 
an industry conference for us. It's not a fan fest like VidCon. VidCon mm-hmm. and Playlist used to have, they still represent the industry, but they still are more of a PR play. Vid Summit is an industry insider play. Vid Summit is a creator seminar setup and with where they don't take your credit card at the back of the room and all of your money. Um, so it's legit. It's like, it's real legit. And it's like, it's a conference. It's for creators by creators. Nothing against fans, but this is for us. This is for us mm-hmm. to learn and grow and earn and network and make deals. This is like for us are like, okay, what what do I do now? Like this mm-hmm. is where we go when we want that answer. Actionable advice is what Vid, yes. uh, Vid Summit really gives to creators. Accurate, actionable advice. Yeah, I can speak to a lot of its legitimacy, not just because like my friends like our owners and founders of it and everything. Cause I'm friends with, I'm friends with Sean Doris. I'm friends with Daryl Eves. I'm friends with holiday and I have a good relationship with Mr. Beast. And so what I would say is he's so nice. He's very generous. He's very kind. He mm-hmm. always makes time for people without a second thought. And the, the thing that I would say is this, is that I can say good things about this conference, even if it wasn't my friend's conference, because it's one of the only places that I can go to. And I say this modestly. It's one of the only mm-hmm. places I can go to and not be the smartest person in the room. And I don't say that to brag. I say that to say that when you reach a certain point in your career, when you're over 100,000 subscribers, you mm-hmm. run out of rooms where you're not the one that everyone is trying to get something from. And you've experienced this because like, you know, a lot of people you know will be are smaller creators than you. So it's like they look up to you. They have questions for you. Where do you go when you need? You oh, know, I'm still I am still surprised I have. Okay. I think the thing that gets me because I blew up literally, I was in San Francisco for a UFO convention for coverage. <laughs> I was alone in my hotel room calling my dad, freaking out because my video was going viral and I suddenly had 10,000 followers. I was freaking out. And then I fly right. home and then two days later, San Francisco locked down from the pandemic. So the entirety of my career as a full-time creator has been during a global pandemic. So I'm still like navigating all of this. You don't know what normal is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, that'll be the other thing that's interested is when the COVID bump and the COVID dump is all over and done with. Well, what's the reacclimation for that in our industry? That'll be interesting. That'll be very yeah. interesting. I've been trying to prepare for people because some people, they've seen their numbers go down. Now that mm-hmm. some stuff is reopened and stuff like that, and they were freaking out. And I'm like, you've never, but you've never had normal. So like, don't worry about it. Yeah, because like I was, I've been to VidCon, uh, oh gosh, only two times. And then I was supposed to go last year. Obviously that got canceled early. And then I was going to go this year. And I was so excited for my first real VidCon as like a creator. And then it got canceled. Ooh. But speaking yeah. of Vid Summit, like wh- did you, how do you think, do you think it was really affected by COVID or not? This or year, like how no. Did, how was it? No, not at all. This year, no, sold out. That's awesome, though. Yeah, no, it was great. And the thing is, yeah. uh, it was, uh, but also the one thing that was affected by it was it ended up becoming a family reunion is what it ended up becoming. For like, for those of us who were alumni, for like some of the newcomers, I think some of the newcomers thought we were clicky, but what it really was is like, Vid Summit has never been clicky, but it's been like two years since people saw each other. And it's mm-hmm. been a rough two years for a lot of people and so for uh, those of us who are alumni, it was a family reunion. So we were like, 
just all like with each other a lot. And like everybody, you know, it was like, you know, cause a lot of us are vaccinated and then we had on-site testing. Like, so mm-hmm. people were like, Oh, I haven't seen you in two years. I just need to hug you right now. And like, or how have you been? Aww. How's it like, it's like, yeah, it was so much and everything like that. I mean, and like with me, one of my best friends, Owen, like he's going through cancer for the fourth time. And we did mm-hmm. a whole like fundraiser virtually for him and his family and situations. So, for me, it's like, you know, a lot of us, we like, you know, we were there with Owen and we got all choked up and stuff like that and just started like hugging and crying and all that, so, like getting emotional now just talking about it. Like, Aww. you know, so we were just like, oh, thank God I got to like, it's been two years. Yeah. We have no idea what the world is like. Oh, thank God I got to see you. You know, thank God I mm-hmm. even got to see you. So a lot of us were like yeah. doing that. And so for a lot of newcomers, that stuff might've been a little weird or it might've been a, hey, I don't feel like I'm a part of things. It's like, that's not what it would normally be. Mm-hmm. That's the only real impact I feel that the, oh, there's one other thing. So that was an impact, yeah. but then also some brands didn't want to have booths because they were concerned about COVID optics. So some brands that would normally be there, some creator focused brands that would normally be there and would be supporting and also would be there to make deals and stuff like that. They, some of them were hesitant and backed out because they were afraid of COVID optics, which didn't even actually become a thing as far as VidSummit. So I'm, I'm yeah. for one, I'm glad that that turned out. And then two, again, we did it in the most responsible way. There, we did it, uh, there was on-site testing. There was only one person that ever came back out of the entire event with a positive test, and that was it. Kept everybody Yeah, I safe. think that's, yeah, no, that's great. I, I hope that I've just accepted that 2021, it's not going to be like, okay, November 3rd, everyone's good. No more pandemic. Like I'm hoping in 2022, at least, I don't think that there's a back to normal ever. I, I think that things have just kind of been irreparably changed or at least morphed for the world, not just, you know, the creator economy or anything like that. But I mean, I hope that there's at least a way that there's not a panic around, you know, public events and all of that. Cause God, I miss it so badly. <laughs> I think that that's something that we, we have to look at what happens with like, it's a developing situation. So I don't want to speak in a absolutes, but yeah. we've reached a point to where we've seen what this is like for nearly two years. My thing is, it, it's not a popular thing to say, but we're going to have to accept this and we're going to have to push forward because we mental health wise, we can't keep it going the way we've been going without causing a different type of crisis. The mental health of everybody has, it's been exacerbated by this situation. And I have very real concerns and fears about what happens if we don't find some path forward. And the thing is, I'm uh, like looking at the numbers. We had like, you know what, you know what people are not giving credit for and what I'd love to give people credit for, because I know people are getting beat up about it. This is the fastest a, a vaccine has ever been adopted in large numbers in the history of this entire country, if not the history of the entire world. And all we hear mm-hmm. is about how bad it is that it's not enough. And we're not giving any credit for how quickly like a good majority of people, it may be a slim margin of the majority, but it's enough mm-hmm. to matter in the fact that it's historically unprecedented and people have not been given their fair due and credit for making that happen. And I think that that's mm-hmm. a real shame just because, because again, it's like this hedonic treadmill. Oh, I'd like it to be better. It's like, why don't you acknowledge and have like a little more gratitude and accept like, you know, a little bit of a pat on the head for where you're at. I mean, my God. Yes. My God. And the thing is, mm-hmm. I don't know why that should even be controversial to say, to say like, we did really good in the sense that yeah. it's not where we'd like it to be, but it could be worse. Yeah. It could be worse. Absolutely. Like, 
And we like, yeah. why not give some credit there? Why not acknowledge that we literally set an unprecedented marker with this on unprecedented technological advancements in this medical field with regard to like, why not acknowledge, like, it's gotten so frustrating to me that there's no good news. And the thing is, there really should be. There is. There are mm -hmm. things to celebrate, but there's no good news. It feels like- Today is a Bones Day. I don't know if you're on TikTok. Today is a Bones Day. Have you heard about Noodle the Pug? I think I have. I think I have. Okay. It is yeah. a Bones Day. So this 13-year-old okay. pug on TikTok, every day, his owner Dogs sees if Noodle woke up with, with, pug, with bones or no bones. No bones doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad day. But bones means great day. So it's a it's a okay. bones day on a Monday, which is not normal. Oh, well, and hey, yes, I acknowledge that I am in I fully acknowledge that I am in a cult led by a pug. I've accepted this because my day is dependent on whether or not <laughs> this pug has bones. <laughs> your, your dear leader. Your dear leader. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So good news so, day. It's a bones yeah, day. <laughs> I'll accept that. Like that's, that's, it's a good day then. It's a good mm -hmm. day. I'll take it. I, and I, that's another thing. It's like the fact that there are so many conversations we all have to tiptoe around that we really shouldn't have to, where we should be able to just like say, you know what? I disagree. Or you know what? I'm not feeling it. And that'd be okay. That's cool. And just like, you know, we used to be a lot more more civilized. We used to be a lot more thoughtful. And mm -hmm. I think that that's a real shame that that feels like it was so long ago. To be fair though, COVID times is a black hole. So I feel like everything either feels like it was a month ago or 14 years ago. That's fair. Like, it's a good thing I don't age. Cause <laughs> like, it feels like a decade. Um, <laughs> there you go. So yeah, um, like, but yeah, but I did, I did just want to get back on, I, this, the Swell Shenanigans podcast is team get vaccinated. Two people in my uh, family got COVID. And the only reason I didn't get it was because I wore a mask and was vaccinated, did not right get on. the Delta variant. So everyone get vaccinated. Feel free to unsubscribe from this podcast. If you disagree, <laughs> I don't care. I agree with being thoughtful, but I'm also at the bullying stage of educating people. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just like. I'm, I'm a results guy and I've just seen it not mm -hmm. work. And then like, I also mm -hmm. like in listening to the doctors, I actually had the pleasure of talking to Dr. Mike about this. He was doing a Q and a about like what, like what we should be doing. Cause like, I get that by the way, I get people's frustration. I get like dunking on people or whatever, but I'm like, the doctors are telling us not to do that. So oh, yeah, I should say not dunking on people. It's just like, if I, so I've talked about this previously on the podcast, but I posted about how I tested negative after caring for my loved one, who was the sickest I've ever seen them. They oh, were Lord. so violently ill. And to the point That's that I rough. was terrified that every time I woke up and went downstairs to check on them, that I was going to have to rush them back to the ER. Like it was that bad. Yeah. And I was the only yeah. one caring for them. I was in proximity with them. And I tested negative. And so I just posted about how like, hi, please get vaccinated. I do think this works. I was wearing a mask. I kept switching. I kept swapping it. I just think that we just need to buckle down and get through this. And I just yeah. got several people who I, I never mentioned any presidential candidates. I didn't mention <laughs> anything. Always fun, right? And suddenly, always and fun. suddenly I am pushing the Biden agenda. I am pushing my non-scientific oh, facts and I just blocked on site. That's what I mean oh, by I bullying i'm I just done <laughs> generously so i don't consider blocking bullying and i don't consider okay. blocking censorship 
So like okay. when I say bullying, I mean, I'm like, for real, for real, I've seen some bullying. Like, no, I'm not posting anyone's, I'm not posting anyone's screen names and being like, look at this idiot. I'm not doing that. I'm not using yeah, my no, platform there's people, to yeah, 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 We've seen yeah. people who like, I've been like disappointed in like influencers that I see do that kind of thing. But I mean, I, yeah, I'm disappointed in people who don't take things seriously or don't like do things that are safe. But at the same time, I'm like, you can't, you can't parent people and you can't force people to do what you think is the right thing that that gets us to a dark place real damn quick but we're like and we're in a dark place as it is yeah i think throughout this entire last two years of anything i've just learned that you really because at the start of the pandemic i was working as a barista and yeah, i just I saw some horrific treatment that i experienced my coworkers oh, experienced i had someone go on a three week long crusade because I asked him and his wife to pull his, their masks up while they were ordering. Jesus. That was it. Trying to get me fired. Contacted several different locations of my company oh. trying to get me fired. See, that's exactly what I'm talking about. It's like, that is an extreme overreaction to mm. a very simple request. You know, it's like, my Lord, that's ridiculous. Mm. See, like, and that's yeah. the thing that bothers me is I don't like how extreme everything has gotten in the world and social media is like because it ties back to even what we're talking about with like our industry right and one of the things i love about our industry is that there are things i think we get better than the traditional media in a lot of ways but then there are times when i feel like we're falling into some of this can i ask uh, for an example or just like what you mean well, by for that one thing for one thing i think that with regard to the the traditional media that often they end up being beholden to their parent company or aligned interest, and mm -hmm. they are not good at declaring their biases. And often they're not good at declaring their conflicts of financial interest. Primary example, whenever the media covers social media platforms or social media influencers, they never disclose the conflict of interest that they're talking about their direct competition for ad dollars. Every large yep. creator that they talk about and every large platform is literally a direct competitor for a substantial amount of money with regard to advertising dollars. They have a vested interest in seeing negative perception about their competitor. And there is no disclosure at the top of the fold or at the top of the hour where they just admit that they have an interest and that's a conflict or that it represents bias. There's none mm -hmm. of that. We are more beholden to disclosures of conflicts of interest than they are. And we're mm -hmm. more transparent. We are much more transparent with our audiences on every level. I mean, you have influencers out here. You literally know what they're invested in. <laughs> you know, can you really yeah, say that? There are certain platforms that you can see exactly where things are moving as far as what their investment is. Side note, I do think that if anyone puts not financial advice and then gives blatant financial advice, I do think there's a problem there. <laughs> For anyone listening, that was my very first episode of this podcast was talking about crypto scams. Not financial advice, buy Apple stock. And I'm like, <laughs> like it, that, yeah, I said it. Like, I do that on, I'll be real. Sometimes I do that on purpose to literally tell you, to tell you the old, boring stuff. <laughs> like, yeah. If the, uh, the, the uh, meme coin popped up yesterday, take everything they say with a grain of salt. How about that? Oh, dear Lord. Yeah, no, don't like, <laughs> yeah, don't, don't YOLO into any of that nonsense and into pump and dubs. Watch CoffeeZilla. To be fair, though, a pump and dub is how I made money on Dogecoin. I will be open about that because I fell into the TikTok pump and dump of Dogecoin 
in July of 2020. Well, that's slightly (laughs) not quite the same thing, but you didn't go out and promote it. No, I didn't. See, that's the thing. I don't like promoting stock because I'm, I do, I just don't like promoting stock personally, because I do think that there is a certain level of personal research that I can't guarantee that even I like to think that my followers are an educated consumer type, and they're doing their best to like take my advice when I say, hey, research the company before you give them money. Don't just buy something from a dropshipping site because a TikToker told you to. Like, I hope that they're doing that, but I don't think that that can be guaranteed when something like Robinhood is gamified. I don't want to say gambling. Yeah. Investing is not gambling. I wish that I could look Mm -hmm. up which slot machine paid out for the last 10 years. Which is why, again, my default's Apple. I'm like, like, okay, how's that like gambling? Like, if you looked at Apple yeah. and if you looked at Warren Buffett's portfolio, it's like, how's that gambling? It's like guaranteed printing money. You did a great tweet uh, a while ago. Gosh, I don't, I just, this just stuck with me always because you, you showed, you said I took a thousand dollars and I put it all in different tech stocks, and you showed how it had grown over either six yeah. months or a year. I can't remember. And I was just it was like it was a year and then I updated it for this year because I did it right before I did it in like January of 2020. Mm. And so I showed for the year. But I also See, I've been following you for, for so almost, long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, because I think you were even following me before that, I think. But like so I have a lot of these M1 finance like experimental portfolios and I actually will share them publicly because I'm trying to help people like have some like reasonable real advice, but real results of like I'm like look, there's reasonable smart things you can do that basically come down to, gee, will the rich get richer? I bet you they will. Like, I mean, for yeah. real, like one thing I did was there's one portfolio I showed you where I just invested in the four largest companies in the world. I invested in Apple, Google, Microsoft, and Amazon at the time. And wouldn't mm-hmm. you know it, they all went up over the last year. Fancy that. It's like by a yeah. considerable, like a, by a ridiculous amount. Like I think that mm-hmm. the what if I if I look it up right now, I bet you that like I think that that portfolio, I'm gonna look it up right now. But like I'm almost positive that, and this is like ridiculous. Like it's so ridiculous in terms of how predictable it is. But it's also mm-hmm. literally just saying, well, like, well, will will the rich get richer? Like, and so since I did that investment in just the top four tech companies, which are all now valued at over a trillion dollars, it's a ninety-eight percent return. Jeez. Because it's I'm insane. Sorry, I'm not because, laughing. That's insane. <laughs> but it's insane because Microsoft, 97.77%. Alphabet, mm-hmm. uh, 136.16%. Amazon. Amazon's the loser at 4992 <laughs> And Apple, 109.04. It's like, okay, I can't lose here. It's like, you know, again, yeah. uh, financial advice. But for real. But Do your own research before investing any large sums of money. Correct. I'm like, I did uh, NVIDIA before the stock split. Like, I've held it for oh, a while, but then yeah. the stock split. So then, like, that went to the moon for me because, again, the stock split. So that meant that, like, I think I got, like, four shares for every one that I held. And then it's, like, one of the only two legit GPU companies that you can buy. I've been a gamer my whole life. So I already knew that, you know, like I only buy things that I know and I buy things that like, okay, if I've spent like a thousand dollars with this company, I should be holding a thousand dollars of the stock. Absolutely. If I spent 10,000 with this company, I should be holding 10,000 of the stock. Like that's my, my brain's logic of if I'm buying the product, I should own some of the wealth of the company that I helped Mm. contribute to. Like that's my thought process of like, okay, so that's how I'll that's how I'll invest. And I invest in things that I believe in around the creator economy. I invest in whether you like them or hate them. I buy every company 
that owns a platform. Yeah, I'm definitely, like you said about cameras and things like that, like I own pretty much any camera that I have, I own at least some, at least one share of stock because my investment portfolio is getting better, but it's definitely not as large as it probably could be if I'd been properly investing last year. Last (laughs) year, it was just kind of like, I was like, oh, I'm going to do a review of Robinhood and I'm going to invest in a bunch of TikTok stocks is like a bit. And I was only going to invest $100. So I put in $25 into Dogecoin. That video would do well. Yeah. But then I I think I just, I think I kind of like, there are certain videos that I like and then I abandon them. And that was one of them. But I immediately lost $24 of what I put into Dogecoin. And then I just left it there. I didn't do anything. I just left it there. And then sure enough, in January, it blew up. And I suddenly had, yeah, I suddenly had, I think it started with, I think I put in like just a little bit here and there. I didn't go in. I didn't just immediately put more money in when it blew up. But I think in total, what I ended up pulling out of uh, Dogecoin, I think it came to about, oh God, I want to say like seven or $8,000, which off an initial $25 is pretty good. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, no, I turned $100 into $800 then I took that out and left the hundred, the, the original hundred dollar investment in, mm-hmm. and then that hundred turned into like thirteen hundred, and yeah, then, and I and like so, and I. My took dad profit. is very big on free runs. My dad is very yeah. big on free runs. But I'm also, I'm also the dude who bought Ethereum Classic at ten dollars. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone thought I was crazy. I didn't buy a bunch of it because like for me, the crypto stuff is I'm very conservative with the crypto stuff because I believe in the blockchain technology more than I do the application of like, I believe in cryptocurrency, but up to a point because I still am concerned about regulations, just like I, I believe in TikTok, but I'm concerned about regulations. I look at social mm-hmm. media, our industry, and I'm like, have you looked at like the Safe Tech Act and what they want to do with that? No. And there's certain things that I think like like basically everything we've talked about, especially with longevity with career is that there's some, I think a lot of creators are, you know, they're, they're a lot of them are just young kids or new adults and they don't know what they should be looking out for. They just see, okay, this is working right now. I'll just do what I need to, to keep this audience number happy and hopefully I'll get more. And so they don't worry about the risk until something like Instagram goes down for two days. Yeah. See, that's why I try it's hard to get views on making deep content on these things. Mm-hmm. And also I try to not sensationalize them and I try not to get people worked up angry or depressed or anxious. Like the most mm-hmm. anxiety I cause somebody is in the title and thumbnail and then I work, go out of my way to immediately relieve that anxiety in two minutes or less going into a video. Cause mm-hmm. like I do not want people to watch my content and feel worse about their situation. Like that's mm-hmm. something that very important to me, but it's also really hard to make really good, thoughtful content sometimes because there's things that you know will get more views. Like people, people actually dunk on me a little bit about my view to subscriber ratio. I'm like tutorial and education content never has a good view to subscriber ratio first. Yeah. But the subscribe, like I do think there is people want that information. And so that's what always floors me about how their, those numbers are low because so much of the information, like I go and watch like how to get a thousand your first thousand subscribers in 2021, even though I now have over a quarter of a million, because it's like, well, what if there is something else there that's useful, you know? And it's like, I think there or is. What if there's a foundation step that because you yes. like benefited from like really good timing, not luck, but good timing. Like, <laughs> you won't let me use the word luck. <laughs> because there's elements of things that where we misdefine good fortune 
as luck, which then implies that there wasn't like either work that had to be done or thought Mm -hmm. that had to be given or courage that had to be worked up. So like, mm-hmm. I don't like the word luck because I find it too reductive and it's not nuanced enough for me because what we're mm-hmm. usually trying to say is that somebody was very fortunate or that somebody had an outcome that's rarefied, but we're diminishing it too much when we say luck. And that's not in like an ego trip play or a trying to turn everybody into some unsung genius. It's that there are enough things that you did that are outlier behavior to justify an outlier outcome in the first place. And that isn't being acknowledged if I say luck. Cause like there's a, you know this, there's courage in having, in be, being a weirdo is really hard and a lot of people just opt out. <laughs> yeah, like I embracing, get that. Embracing your quirks is hard and it's hard to live like that for a very long time, which is why kids have it generally beaten out of them by the time they get to middle school and they fall in mm-hmm. line. And that's it. And they go to the default future. This is why a lot of creators don't make it. It's really difficult to say, I'm going to do YouTube and not see results for a year or two years and still keep telling people you're doing YouTube or justify it to your friends or your family. Five years. (laughs) Exactly. It's really hard to stick with something in general. And it's Mm -hmm. really hard to stick with something that requires you to subject yourself to the possibility of public embarrassment or public shaming or public failure. People can't endure that for long periods of time, which is why their careers end up being, or their, their the potential of their career ends up dying on the vine is because mm-hmm. it wasn't allowed to grow to maturity and it wasn't nurtured long enough to actually become something. And I think that's mm-hmm. a real shame. And then it makes people look at the people who make it and then say, oh, they got lucky. Because again, Like sticking something out for five years is a commitment. Any result that comes from that is not luck just because it might feel like it or it might feel that it's sudden. It's just, it's no different than, you know, you didn't control the market, but if you keep investing in something when other people don't and then it blows up and they hop on, you were the person who believed. And that's a very Mm -hmm. important part of success is not being afraid to lose or be embarrassed or like just taking a shot and then everybody else will be like, oh man, I wish I had. And so they have to say, oh man, you're very lucky. Like, because mm-hmm. but it's like, but they had, it's not like they were denied the opportunity to risk something. Very true. I hear what you're saying. Fine. I won't say I'm lucky. You can say you're fortunate. <laughs> However, I, do love, I do love my job and I am very lucky to have the job that I have. Can I say that? You can say that. You can say that, but it's like, mm-hmm. but it's a career that you built. I'll and you, that. And you stuck with it when people weren't watching you which is very hard to do. And you deserve all the praise and credit in the world. It's very hard to do. When you're not crushing it, it's very hard to stick with something when you're not crushing it. So it's also good. And what creators should do is instead of trying to blow up, they should do things they really, really like. It's easier to do something for three or five years and wait for it to pay off if you actually like it. That's my thing is just, yeah, I always, people always ask me like, what what advice do you have for YouTubers? And I mean- I took a two-year gap because of family and school and work and all sure. that, but I did five years of content where I was making not even $100 a month doing YouTube, and I was making yeah. very little. Even after I had, I don't want to say my first viral video, but I went to a viral event, and that launched me to 1,000 subscribers and then to 4,000, 5,000 subscribers, TanaCon. Like, that's, that was- For your size, that is viral. Yeah. At the time. 
So I had 400 before that event. I had 400 subscribers before that event. So the exponential, so what people don't understand is they've made viral this fixed goalpost of millions of views instead Mm -hmm. of thinking about it as exponential growth. Because even if you look at where the word viral comes from, uh, unironically in the time of a pandemic, then what I'm saying is a more accurate definition than it going to Mm -hmm. millions and going to the moon. It's relative to the, oh, it blew up. Think about it. Like, Think about the fact that Doge made some people legitimate millionaires and it didn't even have to get to a dollar. It didn't even have to become a stable coin to accomplish that. It was about the mm-hmm. exponential growth. The same thing with like right now, what's the- um, Is it Sheeb? Shiba Inu, Shiba Inu, yeah, Shiba Inu, yeah. Yes. No, I- I just put, side note, I just put $50 in on Weeble the other day <laughs> to be transparent. What if I told you I bought $500 uh, worth of Shiba Inu about roughly seven months ago? I'd say you're a genius. <laughs> I'm holding about 50 million Shiba Inu coins right now. Yeah, I have, I think in total, just under 2 million. Yeah, I have just under 2 million with my 50 bucks. So like all I needed to do is go to a penny. And you're just set. You'll have, you'll have 15 Teslas. (laughs) All I need, yeah, all I need is for it to go to a penny, but I'm not going to pump it. Like, obviously I'm not going to pump it, you know? Yeah. Um, This is not financial advice. Do your own research. Not financial advice. My friends in commentary would like kill me if I pumped it, (laughs) which I will not. But my point is that like, there's a, like we believed in YouTube, for example, you know, a lot of people Mm -hmm. didn't. A lot of people, I've been around YouTube since like the very, very beginning. Like I remember. Before it was monetizable, were you one of? Yeah, a lot of people don't know this, but it's like, I've literally been on YouTube since the beginning, but I like, my friends and I like did stuff, like we were in like the early days, but like nothing happened with it. And so I went my own way, you know? So I don't even know what those old channels are, how to get into them anymore or something like that. But we were making stuff back in like 2005, 2006. You just have $500 sitting in those accounts. It it legit could be possible. But Mm -hmm. the thing is, I started doing my own channel in 2009 and I didn't really do anything with it for like four years, except upload like five times a year maybe. And that's it. Mm -hmm. And then in 2013, I was like, I'm committing to doing this. Not because there wasn't even really, the being a YouTuber was even then not as much of a thing as it is today, mm-hmm. you know, not even close. Like YouTube became profitable, I would say, in 2012, and it became normalized in like a household name in 2015, you know, the era of the Viners. That's what really put it on. And then it got its uh, second renaissance probably in 2018. You could argue that like 2015 through 2018 was like the second renaissance of like peak YouTube. Now, mm-hmm. platform wise, in terms of like content, there was the first golden age of YouTube was probably, I would say, 2010 to 2013, you know, mm-hmm. the era of like the real height of Freddie Wong and I just and mm-hmm. Jenna Marbles, the rise of mm-hmm. PewDiePie, that era of YouTube and like, but you had some really creative stuff in like those early days and like people who were pushing in like, I would say 2008 through like 2011 that were like opening up the envelope of like, oh wow, this is like, 
like, oh, wow, you guys are making like competitive visual cinematic content. Like, oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Like you had people doing the lightsaber choreography contest, like Ryan Weber. I don't know if you're very yes. familiar with Ryan Weber. He um, is like the same age as me. By the time he was 27 years old, he had two Emmys and he started in YouTube in his backyard. He never even got to 100,000 subscribers, but he ended up mm -hmm. taking his YouTube stuff in his reel, getting a job at LucasArts, dropping out of college after two months and like made it in Hollywood as a visual effects artist who started on YouTube. Yeah. He's a visual effects artist who started on YouTube and he made it in Hollywood, ended up we are working on Nightmares and Dreamscapes, NBC Hero. I think he worked on one of the Spider-Man films. It's like Ryan Weaver has two Emmys, old many awards, and is like, he's not a household name like other people who started on YouTube in his time, but he didn't have mm -hmm. to get 100,000 or a million subscribers to literally live the dream. Those are the stories that don't get told. So we're over an hour now, so I just oh, want wow. to... Yeah, we've been talking. <laughs> we covered a lot. But uh, before we, uh, I forgot to give you a warning at the start because we were already talking about so much great stuff. So I just had to start hitting record. But at the very end, I'm going to ask you because I ask all my guests to share a shenanigan of their own. And it can be okay. literally anything. But before Lord. we do that, I do want to ask you, because you do cover, like I said, you're a creator's creator and all of that. Sure. Is there any, I don't want to say red flags, that's not the word, but is there any mistakes or concerning things that you see a lot of new creators or newly successful creators making, whether it's with their content or business-wise or anything, really? Over-reliance on ad revenue and creator funds revenue so basically mm -hmm. not diversifying enough of their income and not really treating it like a business and valuing themselves properly. Creators massively underpriced their brand deals for like all kinds of reasons, mostly insecurity. And then also not knowing better. And yet the brand deals content that everyone says they want so much is like the stuff that I can't get 10,000 views on. Literally, I will tell, I'm telling you literally what to do to get more money. And it's the hardest thing to, but let me make a video about AdSense and I'll get like, 50, 175,000 views, 50,000 views, 175,000. Let me tell you that YouTube isn't paying creators and I'll get 175,000 views. Let me tell you how yeah. to make more money without relying on YouTube. I can't get 10,000. Like it's, yeah. it's so hilarious. But so it's stuff like that. It's the underpricing. It's the not believing in themselves enough to even commit to, hey, let me make something so dope that people in my audience will find five, 10, $15 for it. Let me make, they're gonna mm -hmm. spend that money on something. Instead of them spending on a vending machine this month, let me like find a way to give them something they'll actually use more than once or that they'll really like. And mm -hmm. let me sell it to them. Uh, people really are kind of chicken about selling because they're afraid of being criticized. And you know, because making the free content. Yeah, the, the dangerous sellout comment and all of that. It's like, oh, well, why am I? selling out and all of this like for example um my like i said my dad does content and he and i make drastically different content which is part of the reason we don't promote Makes each sense. other's stuff so there's no algorithm contamination or anything i love that you know about that <laughs> yes oh no i i because he he started his channel in the pandemic shooting on his ipad and he is now at over a hundred thousand subscribers congrats to dad I know he like hit, tried to hide it from me because I had just blown up a little bit and he was like, I didn't want you to see this yet. Like he was like trying to, he didn't ask me for any advice at first. And then he would ask me for little questions here and there, but he did it all himself. Very proud of him. It's also still a secret, so I can't promote it here, but I will tell you somewhere yeah. else. Um, sure. But there was another creator 
that he was following that he would get a lot of, he started with talking about grants for small businesses during the pandemic. He niched mm. down significantly. So he grew rapidly in the, during the pandemic. And then yes. I warned him, I said, Hey, you got to start figuring out little other niches to work into because eventually the grants during a pandemic is not going to be a niche that's even around. Oh anymore. yeah. So you got to mm-hmm. start figuring that out. So now he's found a new spot where he's just doing constant business news and like real time news smart. and stuff man on the street stuff and that's doing really great brilliant but there was a guy that he was following who was covering a bunch of research and because he had access to all of these small business platforms and things like that my dad would like kind of do some research from him and all that the guy went off of youtube and started doing a paid platform and doing all the stuff through there my dad is already like i mean i was getting a lot of good stuff from him i think i may need to go and do that so even then there, there is that risk of, okay, I'm going to lose a, a sub chunk of my following or a sub chunk of my income for a little bit. But if the content is there and the value is there, your audience will eventually follow you over there. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it can end up being just as, if not more lucrative to go to a smaller audience. I mean, think about it. Like, I'll give you a primary example. I'll, I share these numbers somewhat publicly. My awesome Creator Academy membership group. I have mm-hmm. a membership group where I have like over like 50 people. Some of them were grandfathered in back from like $29 a month. It's $59 a month as of the making of this video. All right. Mm-hmm. This is not a sales pitch, by the way, but I'm doing math. I'm going to show you math. It's like the membership recurring monthly income of that is over like three grand Mm -hmm. and the ad revenue at a high CPM rate, because I don't upload as much as I used to is equivalent to that. So like uploading a couple of videos a month to my YouTube channel and making very significant ad revenue, because I don't get like a million views a month, but I make three to 4,000 a month off of making like a quarter million views to like 300, 350, 500,000 views. It depends. Like basically for every 100,000 views, I make $1,000 because I have like these very high RPM and CPM rates. I'll tell you mine if you tell me yours. Uh, I can tell you my, usually my average RPM across the channel Mm -hmm. is like $13 RPM. However, on some Mm -hmm. of my videos, I have like a $40 RPM on some of my videos. Like very rare. And I have like a $20 RPM on if I ever do like an affiliate marketing or passive income or a make money online video for creators, mm-hmm. those videos will have like an RPM of like $20 or more. And so, yeah, so that's what mine looks like. Yeah, my RPM right now, it just went up for a while. It was around seven to eight. It just hit about 950 for across the channel. Nice. Considering I don't really, I'm aggressively against niching down because I don't want to go insane. That's how I stave off burnout is I literally just make videos about whatever hell I want. But I mean, also there are times where I have videos get super high CPMs or RPMs because I'm talking about a product and that company just started doing marketing. So there was a time every once in a while, FabFitFun, the two videos I have on that, well, it'll jump to like 15 to $16 for those videos. And whether those start getting a ton of views or not, I make at least $100 a month from those videos alone. Anything I do that covers software has like a 30 to $40 RPM. Yeah. So even when it doesn't get a lot of views, it makes so much money that it does. I don't, I look yeah. at the views, I go, oh, it's a shame that didn't get more views, but it's not yeah. a shame because it's, and that's on top yeah. of the fact that then a lot of it ends up also doing affiliate. So it's like, okay, I'll take less views and I'll take this really handsome check, like trade-offs. I'm like, so I stopped looking at the views at a certain point and go, 
I got that much for less views. I know people getting a yeah. million views that don't make nothing. I'm like, oh my God. Some of my clients yeah. are in entertainment and like gaming and their CPMs are like, so I feel like I'm like, oh my God, you have to make, like, if you don't make millions of views, you don't make rent. Like sh that pressure is like, oh, some CPMs are super low. My CPM is surprisingly high for some of the content that I make, considering a lot of it is entertainment related. The way you're doing it, I'm not shocked. Oh, okay. The way you're doing it, yeah, I'm not shocked. I, I'll tell you offline, it'll make perfect sense. Okay. Yeah, no, but I, I've seen a, a common CPM. Every time I talk about like RPM or CPM, people are like, oh, isn't the normal $4.36? I'm like, I don't think there's a normal across YouTube. I think across niches, there's consistencies. So one of the things I teach is I actually have collected so much information and data from so many creators and I've had access to like their dashboard and stuff like that. And people mm -hmm. DM me and share data with me or even in interviews like this, oh, we got data. Like we did. Yes. So like I know categorically the ranges, the bottom and tops and the averages. And so I've come up with like median ranges. And like, that's one of those things that like I teach my students is like the median ranges of certain niches. But then what I also explain to them is each niche though has different business models beyond that ad revenue that you can pursue that can then mm -hmm. offset it. This is why I said like, okay, like a hundred people is just as valuable to my brand if they're the right 100 people, maybe even more so than mm -hmm. say 100,000 unique viewers across the uh, month. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I could have those 100,000 unique viewers or I can have these like 60 paying people and make literally more money. Or another mm -hmm. example is we did a workshop the other day we did on a weekend, we did a workshop. I said it was going to be a two hour workshop. It ended up being like three and a half hours because of Q&A. It was all around brand deals, right? 25 mm -hmm. seat limitation, 17 people showed up for it. I charged $199. So, and then like three people directly afterwards signed up with, for coaching with a discount. So like in a weekend doing mm -hmm. a workshop for less than 20 people, I ended up making like five grand. Think about how mm -hmm. hard a content creator works on AdSense to make that. So there's all these different verticals. Yeah. And even if you don't want to do coaching, think about it like this. If somebody sold enough merchandise to the handful of their ride or die followers that want to buy merchandise or want to buy a whole outfit, they're like, oh, I can go buy a whole outfit at the mall or I can buy it from you. That's all it takes is your audience will have your back if you give the people. So what if the 99% of the audience doesn't want to buy or doesn't want to be sold to. The 1% mm -hmm. of the audience that does will make you more money than the other 99% that just watch the content passively. And it's not to mm -hmm. say that they're not valuable because they are, but I'm saying you literally can double down on your ride or die followers and it could 10X your money. The 1% of your ride or die 1,000 true fans is enough to literally 10X or even literally 100X. And those numbers sound absurd, until you just think about who you're like over the moon for, who you are a super fan of, and how much money you've sunk into being a super fan of somebody, a series, a franchise. Do you realize how much money I've sunk into Star Wars as a franchise? <laughs> Do you realize like how, like, by the way, Mr. Beast, I buy every Mr. Beast drop. I buy every, because oh, yeah. there'll be collector's items in the future. There'll be collector's items oh, in the future. Oh, yeah. I think that's something that we haven't seen that much of with merch and all of that, because I think people assume like, 
Like there are certain pieces of merch that I, especially lately, like I see on TikTok, like, oh, I saw this piece of merch in Goodwill or whatever. And it's like a sign that like things are dropping off. And it's like, okay, but like if you wait a couple of years and hold on to that, like that could be worth something. I regret not buying the original Maverick merch from oh, Logan yeah. Paul because I was going to and then Japan uh -huh. happened and I regret it because mm. like it would be like a collector's item right now. Why was I in my head about buying the thing and like, because of Japan, like it was like, the point is it would have been a collector's item. It would have been like buying like a Mike Tyson member beat. I'm like, I'm like, oh man, I'm a freaking moron. Like, you yeah. know, so it's like, I, I look at things like that and I'm like, okay, I understand like mm -hmm. how some of these things really work. And I want more creators to say, okay, you know what? I'm gonna roll the dice here. Cause like, what's the worst that could happen? I'm not doing any better than I was yesterday. If I was mm. happy yesterday or even unhappy yesterday, what's the problem with doing something when the upside is so like, do you realize what the upside of doing YouTube is compared to not? It's insane. Oh God. Yeah. I would still be working as a verse, <laughs> burning my hands, constantly getting yelled at by soccer moms. <laughs> yeah. Just think about that. So look at YouTube for you. Look at the upside. Look at the upside versus not taking the risk. And then like, so this is why, again, I don't like the, oh, like I know why people say it and they're being modest and they're being, and that's wonderful. But like the reason I don't let creators off the hook and say they get lucky is because just look at what you happen. Look at how much your life changed because there's mm -hmm. just that much upside to doing something versus not. The potential is so there and you stuck with it when a lot of people would have quit. You probably started YouTube with people that didn't stick it out. And yep. Side note, if you guys go back to uh, 2014, 2016 content, small entertainment, and you guys see some of those uh, five seconds of summer fan videos. No, you didn't. I leave those up there to humble myself, but you don't need to watch those. <laughs> <laughs> I leave up my first videos to also yeah. like, humble myself, but also to tell people, but also to encourage people. I'm like, hey, you will never make anything as bad as my first 100 videos. It's not possible. <laughs> oh, I, my first video is so funny because I I totally got onto YouTube for the wrong reasons. I wanted to be an actress and I was like, I'm going to be discovered. So it doesn't matter if this is good. Like that's how I started YouTube. But quickly got out of it, quickly realized I actually love making videos and content and all of that and pursued film in school and all of that. But in my very first video, I clearly have no idea how to use my editing software. And it's just iMovie. But like, I'm like, okay, I'll, let's get started. And then I look away. And then I turn back and start talking again. And I didn't know how to cut out. The gap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. I love it. Okay, I think that covers pretty much everything. So before we do our little sign offs and all of that, and I let you pitch all your stuff, Roberto, do you have a shenanigans for us? Oh, I mean, I guess. Uh, all right. So define shenanigan. So for me with the Swell Shenanigans podcast, it can literally be anything, but it's mostly tomfoolery can be scammy behavior, can be sneaky behavior. There's been a lot of bird related stories for some reason. I had mm. another guest who talked about how randomly when they were 18, they decided they were going to try and shoplift a bunch of lube for someone's birthday and they got cut and they handed <laughs> it over. Um, li little things like that. It literally can be anything. It can be a childhood story. It can be a recent one. It can be literally anything. Also, side note, we don't have any to read today, but 
any listeners are also allowed to uh, either send in a voice memo of their shenanigan or write into the email for the Swell Shenanigans podcast and send in your own shenanigans and me and my guest will react to them. But we currently don't have any, but those options are available. But one we had for the last episode was someone telling us about how their husband, their now husband, used their Disneyland knowledge to uh, surprise propose to them in the Haunted Mansion line. And that was the shenanigan they shared. So it really can be anything. I think I have this one story mm-hmm. that works. Yeah, this one. I mean, this one is like, this one's somewhat self-incriminating. This is me back in high school. It was this really interesting thing that I did in terms of like how uh, I made money because I was broke. I did other people's like homework for like for like money. And so on occasion, if I did something that got me like detention or whatever, I was just like, okay, it shrugged my shoulders because I knew I was just going to end up getting more customers. <laughs> so like, <laughs> you, you saw, okay. You saw the market potential of getting detention. I love that. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, I'm like, I, I saw the upside. I saw, I optimize yes. everything. I'm a true gamer. Yes. I min max everything. I'm a true gamer. I'm like, like, so I was like, Okay, cool. I ended up realizing that it's like individual homework assignments are one thing, book reports are another. And I mm-hmm. was one of the only people who read in high school. So that's great for me. So like I <laughs> and I was like, I actually read The Hobbit more than once. This is perfect. Like so <laughs> it was like it was a very lucrative enterprise. You figured out how to scale your business to start providing a higher value product to maximize your return. Yeah, to the market. <laughs> and so and now what do I do? As I literally do content creators homework for them now. And it's mm-hmm. like, all right, here's here's my notes. I did the assignment. I understood the assignment. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's my shenanigan because I'm kind of boring. Is like my shenanigan is literally I was such a nerd that I just like monetized being a nerd in high school yeah. by doing that's other way people's to do homework. It. And then yeah. even though I was well behaved, I didn't mind being somewhat like flippant and then getting detention because okay, I'll be flippant, get detention, and make more money. Like, so, aha, mm-hmm. uh-huh. who, so who's, who's like laughing now? It's like, I can't lose here. I mean, I think that's a fun shenanigan at the end of yeah. the day. I think, I think anyone who can pull that off, I think is impressive, honestly, because <laughs> I had anxiety. So I really didn't do that until college and more than anything, <laughs> I have dyslexia, but I really love oh. reading. And so I was an English major and did all this stuff in college. But for some reason, I was really my high school was very big on 25 minute five paragraph essays where they would literally just have us write five paragraph essays in 25 minutes. And that Mm. gave me a very weird skill in that I can crank out a full like analytical uh, argumentative essay very quickly. And I worked great for college. Also great prep for YouTube. If I, if I used outlines and didn't just ramble like a psycho for two hours when I recorded, then yes, it would be great prep. (laughs) My editor hates me. But yeah, no, people, because the the professors every once in a while, I always hated this, but they'd be like, so no one knows how to not summarize aside from Amanda and (laughs) for my English papers. And so people would have me like go through and like basically edit their essays and all of that. And I never charged for it. And I should have, but I was just like, I feel bad. I know. Fully monetize, monetize (laughs) everything. (laughs) 
We monetize everything. It's the YouTuber mm-hmm. way. Okay, well, that's going to be it for this episode of Swell Shenanigans. Thank you so much for coming on, Roberto, and covering so, oh, much, so much and giving for- so much great advice. Please plug your stuff. I mean, they can find me <laughs> at Roberto Blake in social medias, and there's a ton of free content. If you go to uh, youtube.com slash Roberto Blake 2, it's like over a thousand videos of free content. So you can start there. If you're like, you know, a baby YouTuber or a baby content creator or a baby rookie entrepreneur, like start with zero dollars. Just like start with zero dollars on the free content. It's very, I think it's very good. And uh, I'm a long-term subscriber. I didn't just subscribe before the podcast. I've been subscribed to Roberto for probably a few years now, honestly. So I can attest that the content is good. Uh, Thank you for that. Appreciate it. And then on Sundays, me and my boy Viper are trying to bring back our Sunday live streams and we do channel reviews sometimes. And it's really Mm -hmm. cool because we have this vibe where it's like he has like five thousand subscribers i have five hundred thousand subscribers and like Mm -hmm. the community literally can just enjoy like our actual friendship and realize that oh yeah like this clout thing y'all are chasing nah just be a good human and build real relationships and everything like that because at the end of the day that sub count thing is just a number it's like Mm -hmm. it's a valuable marketing number but it's just a number it's the actual relationships you build in the community that end up being like your real future. And so he's uh, with the vidIQ team, which is- he's, Oh, uh, I use them. <laughs> yeah. So he's one of their recent executive producers. They mm-hmm. acquired him. I helped them negotiate his deal. And-, uh, <laughs> and Always so, be negotiating. Always be closing. Always be negotiating. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So like we have a good vibe. So like check that out on Sundays. We're bringing that back. And then if mm-hmm. you want to work with me, you can go to awesomecreatoracademy.com. But again, there's like a lot of free stuff that I do out there. So just take advantage of it. Okay. Well, thank you again so much for coming on. And thank you all to all of you listening. We are so close to a thousand subscribers on the uh, YouTube channel. Go ahead and go hit subscribe to that. And don't forget to rate and review us everywhere you listen to podcasts. We are available everywhere. Send us your shenanigans to the Swell Shenanigans podcast. Follow us on all of our stuff. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so you never miss an episode every Wednesday. And that's going to be it. Have a lovely day. Goodbye.